0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Grace this weekend. Thanks for coming out for the last uh, service of 2019 and excited to be kicking off with you guys. Thanks for tuning in if you're online or if you're at one of our live sites. We're uh, glad to have you with us. And uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. I work with our life groups and I've been doing that since May and uh, really enjoy just all that I get to see God do in and through our leaders and through our people and what God's um, up to in there and just uh, love doing that. Love to be here at Grace. And um, want to just wish you a happy new year and hope that you enjoyed Christmas and even just the whole month of December, right? Aren't you glad that Christmas isn't just one day, like you get to drag it out for the whole month? Um, we did something super unique this uh, Christmas, this kind of December that I've never done before. We ended up taking a cruise. And so um, here is a picture just so I can brag about it a little bit of us on Key West. You can see the cruise ship in the back, look how happy we are. You know, we kind of gave our two boys away for the week so that me and Sarah could uh, take a, take a week away because we would call this a baby moon. We're expecting our third uh, child in March, and it's going to be a girl, so that's even more exciting. And so, yes, you can clap for that. You can be excited for me, even though I went on a cruise and maybe you didn't. That's okay. Um, You can be joyful for me. And uh, we just, we loved it. And uh, it was uh, fun to get away. And I didn't really know what to expect, uh, like what appealed to a cruise, because I didn't really want to be around a bunch of strangers. Um, And I didn't want to go on a bunch of of shows and excursions or anything. So I was like, what are we going to do? And I realized most of what people do on a cruise is they just eat. And I loved it so much. Like everywhere you go, there's just unlimited amounts of food. It's weird if you don't get two entrees. It's weird if you don't go get an ice cream cone by the pool. It's just what you do on the cruise. So I love that. My body didn't love it because I came back to Christmas cookies and to a bunch of parties, and so I now know what all of my resolutions and goals are going to be health-wise for the year. It's a blast. Well, we've been in a series uh, called Moments of Wonder, and so maybe you've been uh, walking through this with us. We've been talking about how a moment of wonder, a moment of doubt, a moment of questioning, um, how can that turn into a moment of wonder, a moment of trust and awe? How can kind of that be flipped and turned? And really what we were saying is when we be, we begin to see um, that awe and that trust, it's because we see what God is doing in our lives, that those moments of wonder, the moments of doubt and confusion and questioning are actually the biggest moments that God uh, wants to interact with us in our lives. When things don't make sense, we need to be looking for what he's doing in our lives and listening to what he may be doing different so it can turn into a moment of trust, a moment of wonder. And so we've walked through kind of the Christmas story and looked at the life of Joseph. We looked at Mary. We looked at the Magi or the wise men and looked at how they had their own moments of wonder. These were real people with real experiences, and God did something awesome and different in their life, and he did it through Jesus. And so we just followed that story all the way through. And then even um, if you were at our Christmas program, that was awesome. That was a big deal. And we just highlighted that when Jesus entered the world, that was the moment that changes everything. And when Jesus enters our lives and we invite him into our life, that is the moment that changes everything in our own lives. We can see the world as it's supposed to be. Those moments of wonder, those moments that don't make sense and and where we feel at a loss and feel confused and doubting and questioning, those moments have so much more clarity and so much more purpose when we put on the lens that we see um, that God gives us through Jesus. And that's actually what we're going to do today. We're wrapping up that Moments of Wonder series, and we're actually going to focus just on the life of Jesus and how Jesus himself his life was used for a moment of wonder, something that we could question and kind of be confused about, something that doesn't make a lot of sense, and how God sent him in a way, um, even though um, it didn't make a lot of sense, how that it turns into really the greatest moment of wonder in all of history. And so we're going to look at that um, in Philippians 2. And what's awesome about uh, the passage we're going to be in today is it helps kind of translate some of that from Jesus' life into our own lives. And so you can uh, open that up on the app or if you have a Bible app on your phone, um, or you can open up one of the pew uh, Bibles, one of those um, underneath the chairs. Just look uh, for page 951 if you want to follow along. But this is a great section. And let me just tee up a little bit what's happening in this letter. It's just a short little uh, letter written by a guy named Paul. And so Paul was a missionary. He traveled um, around... A lot of the known world um, at that time, and was uh, er, a part of the early church, he was sharing uh, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that um, he was worth giving our lives to, that he was the one who was initiating uh, God's rescue plan for the world, and he was who offered salvation and a whole new way of living. But what was unique about Paul's situation for this letter is that he was in prison, And because of uh, that missionary journey that he had uh, gone on and because of how bold he was in proclaiming about Jesus, um, he was under actually house arrest. He was imprisoned. And he's writing this letter to the Philippians, to this church, to encourage them and help give them perspective about what What he's going through and why his imprisonment isn't um, just a negative thing, but how he sees it in light of Jesus's own life. And so we're going to jump here into Philippians 2, and Paul's going to give some of that perspective about how he sees um, his life following a trajectory of the same way that Jesus's went in that moment of wonder. And so uh, starting in Philippians 2, just in verse 5, it says, to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and he explains what that is, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." And so God is going to use Jesus' life in a unique way to do this moment of wonder through something like humility, through something like death. He's even a death on a cross, even a a life like Jesus lived in, a a life that is sacrificial, a life that is self-giving and selfless. He's going to use that in a very significant way to put something on display for us to see about our own lives. And so I, I think whats it's just not what we expect, right? It's not what we expect God to do. If God's the creator of the universe, if he's the one who is all-powerful and has all authority, and he sends his son to rescue the world, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he flex that power and authority? Why does he send Jesus in a manger as a baby? Why isn't he born into a palace? Why isn't he born into a family with... An important last name or into wealth or into power. And instead, God does something completely backwards, something that we don't expect. And not only does he send him into a life of obscurity, kind of into a low life, but he leads him to a life that's purposed by death. That the whole point that Jesus is leading up to in saving the world is that he would die. It just doesn't seem what, like what you would expect, that uh, a low life, just being born as a baby, into a nameless, powerless family, and then just living to die, doesn't seem like God can do much with that. It's a moment of wonder. It's a moment where we question and doubt what is God up to. But I think this teaches us something. I think this teaches us something about our own moments of wonder because we see what Jesus did with this throughout his whole life. And it's that humility and faithfulness are required in a moment of wonder. That humility and faithfulness are required in a moment of wonder. So in Philippians 2, it says that he made himself nothing or he humbled himself. And that idea of being humbled is that it's a loss of status, or, or that it, he's being completely leveled. And Jesus is, is purposefully humbling himself. He's purposely putting himself in this position. I think this is so contrary. If we if we think about how much of our own lives we spend trying to prove our status, or to prove our worth, or to find our identity, because there's, there's so much of our lives that can easily become consumed with, does, does this make me significant? Is this Um, either by comparison or just what I find as my own values. I'm going to give most of my life to the things that I value and the things that I think are significant. And, And it just leads us to question, what are the things that we build our identity around? What is it that we feel like gives us status? And it's really easy, especially in a time like the last year before 2020, um, the last weekend before 2020, to think as you're setting goals, it's really easy to craft goals that we really are just building to have a better identity, to to build ourselves with more status, or just because someone we admire or we respect, they did this or they set that goal, and it's easy to kind of get lost in just trying to pursue the good life and just keep up with what everyone else is doing. It's super easy to get lost in that, to not really have a safe place or a steady place for your identity. And Jesus just does something completely backwards. He, he chooses the humble life. All the things that we would build our lives on, Jesus doesn't really place that much importance on. Not that they, they, they are bad necessarily, but he just doesn't find his status and his identity in them. Jesus never had like a family. He didn't have a spouse and kids. He didn't have a big house or a cozy apartment to be all alone with himself. He didn't have a place to live. He didn't have a fancy college degree or a master's degree. He didn't have a good job title or an impressive bio. He didn't publish books or write blogs or do podcasts. He didn't um, necessarily have a great following. He wasn't a celebrity that you would want to be because everyone who followed him either left him or murdered him. And so Jesus, if you put him up on this pedestal and is like, this is the kind of life I want to live, I don't know if we'd necessarily always choose that. I don't know if that's the life that we would choose to put up on display and say, that's actually what I'm going for. I, I want to I wanna die to myself. I, I want to be humbled. But Jesus chose it anyway. Instead, Jesus, uh, instead of pursuing the good life, um, Jesus humbled himself and he said things Like this, he would pray this way. He would say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Talking to his father, when he would talk about his purpose um, for his teaching and for his life, he would say, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He would say, Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And so Jesus had this entire life of humility, not to mention that he would uh, die a gruesome death. He'd go through a trial that he did not deserve to be convicted of. He was silent, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was beat, he was made fun of, and he was murdered. And um, Jesus laid his life down in a humbling act, not because he deserved that, Um, and not, uh, it's hard to think that that would be attractive to us, that laying down of life, but this is exactly what Jesus is trying to show us is a part of of an obedient life, a part of understanding what God may be doing in a moment of wonder, is laying our lives down. So why didn't Jesus need to prove himself? Why, Why could Jesus set aside status, humble himself, he didn't necessarily prioritize or make important the things that we often prioritize or make important. I think the reason did, uh, Jesus could do that was because he knew that the best position he could have was being a servant, that Jesus found his status. He found his identity there. It said he, he humbled himself to the point of becoming a servant, and actually the best place for him to position, his, position himself was not in getting everything that was on his agenda and that were a part of his plans and his desires, but setting those aside to be a servant of someone who um, had better plans, someone who, um, who was trustworthy, someone who loved him and he found his purpose and identity and status and that and being a servant of his heavenly father. And really, the posture of a servant is that everything has to be set aside for you to live out that calling, right? A servant only exists to live out the plans and desires of someone else. And so, this is what you see on a cruise ship, all right? There's like a thousand people on the boat who are on staff, and they just are everywhere waiting for you to ask them to do something. So, you like go to the coffee bar, and they're like, Do you want a coffee? You're like, Of course, I want a coffee. You go out to the pool, and that ice cream machine is right there. And the guy's just standing there with no purpose. So, I like, have to go over and get an ice cream cone, because that's what he's waiting for. So I had to keep going again and again and again just to make sure he felt like he was doing his job. And that's very much the posture that a servant takes is, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here to do whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want. And that's how Jesus postured himself as a servant. Jesus knew that that was all he came to do, was to do the will of his father, to be a servant And his status didn't matter because he found all of the identity and purpose he needed and belonging and following his father. So I think this can be really um, freeing for us, or it can also be very frustrating. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So if um, being a servant to you um, means that you are going to have to give up all of your own plans and that your priorities aren't going to matter and you really just want... To live out your dreams, your hopes, and kind of even live an autonomous life, um, it's gonna be really frustrating because a lot of times we're gonna find God isn't always valuing the same things that we value. Or maybe it can be frustrating even if you've thought about being in, in the place of being the servant and not being in control because you know what it's like to be hurt. You know what it's like to be in that position and to be um, not loved and blessed in a way that it's actually life-giving. Instead, people are taking that servanthood and they're using it against you. And so it can be a very frustrating, like, why, why would I want that? Why would that be what Jesus is calling me to, what he's leading me toward? But it also, being a servant, could be the most liberating thing. It could be freeing to you. Because if you've lived life your own way, or if you've been under um, just the control of, of something or someone that hasn't been life-giving and hasn't been to bless you and to bring a, like actual life to you, it can be freeing to know that there's another way, that I don't have to be anxious and frustrated and disappointment and, and disappointed and crazy about trying to always make life go my way. There's a different way that's better. I can kind of give up the pursuit and allow God to be in charge, and to know that he's not going to be vindictive or hurtful or judgmental, but that his heart is primarily to love me as a father, and the things he asks me to do as as his servant are going to be for my benefit, for my good, and for his glory. That idea of being a servant is exciting. That is, that is life-giving, that's liberating. That's something that, if you understand that anxiety and that discouragement of just trying to like, "Man, life just just not go the way I want it to," it could be nice to, to surrender it over and to say, I, "I don't really need life to go my way. I, I, wa- I want it to go the direction that God wants to take it." And that's where this idea of faithfulness really matters is because if God wants to bless us and his plans are going to be better than our plans and the things that he wants to lead us to are going to be better than the things that we could ever chase, then when he tells us the next place to go, my only job as the servant is to be faithful to do it. It's so weird if, if we say that we are, we're Christians or we're following Jesus and we don't a- adopt that posture of a servant. We don't choose to be faithful. We just kind of keep our plans the same. We kind of a- allow our lives to stay the same way and we say, I'm, just, I'm gonna follow Jesus now, but nothing about our lives actually changes. It's super backwards. We haven't adopted the posture of being a faithful servant because when was the last time that my plans were different than God's plans. When was the last time that he asked me to do something that I, I didn't expect that I had to adjust to what he wanted to do? I think God often does that. That's, that's the hard part of faithfulness. The hard part of it is that it costs us something. It costs something to be faithful. It costs Jesus his life. He had to die to himself. He had, he had to give his life Um, as a part of following what God was doing in that moment of wonder. And I think that's the hard part about our own faithfulness. I think about how God um, began to work in my life about 10 years ago. It's crazy to think uh, that far back. But um, originally, I kind of had plans for my life to um, go to college and become an engineer and kind of felt like I had my life mapped out, thought it was a good fit, like problem solving. And my senior year of high school, God began to like, work in my heart in new ways and and bring people into my life to kind of set a whole new direction. I just started following Jesus and I I started to consider, man, what would it be like if I actually considered becoming a pastor? What would it look like to work for a church or go into ministry and serve God in that way? And so I kind of started that journey and prayed about it and got some wise counsel and felt like this was a, a change that I should make. But little did I know that over these last ten years, how much it would cost—more than just changing majors or changing career paths—that God was actually calling me to something very costly. And I remember um, how early on, like how frustrating it would be sometimes when um, I, I would make this change—I made this change—and people would be like, you know. What's kind of your backup plan? Because I don't really know if it's going to work out the whole pastor thing for you. Or definitely you probably won't be able to provide for yourself. Or, or your family. You want to have a family. And I was just like really discouraged. Like, oh man, I, I, don't, I don't, this is going to be hard. But God always found a way to provide. Sometimes you had to work multiple jobs. Sometimes it wasn't the job you wanted. But God was still using that direction. I remember when I started studying in Bible college and in seminary, you spend a lot of time like reading books and, and being in lectures. And, and anytime you dedicate yourself to that, I also wanted to like volunteer a lot in the church and, and spend a lot of time with people who I could talk to Jesus about. And I just remember I, I gave all myself my hobbies, my priorities kind of got consumed with all the stuff that I got left out a lot of the fun stuff in college. And I was like, man, is this, is this really worth it? I mean, here I am kind of in some of these thankless positions and no one really like is patting me on the back for, for studying this. They're kind of like, oh, you're studying that? That's great. You know, go do that with your life. I remember sometimes I'd get into a church or get into an organization and I think this is going to be it. This is where God brought me. This is my big moment. And what I realized is that you know, I was so set on following that leader or that organization, and then something didn't go the way I expected it to. I'd be let down, I'd be hurt, or something would crumble, and I'd have to come back to God and realize, oh man, actually the cost of this is, is to learn that I can't depend on a leader. I have to depend on you, Jesus, and you alone. And God began to like reveal these things over and over as as I as I had to take the sacrifice and and take the next step with faithfulness, all the way to the point of moving here to Akron. When we moved here to Akron, it was about four years ago, we did not know where we were gonna live. We did not know what we were gonna do for work and we were six months pregnant. And so we show up in Akron because a lot of things that God was showing us was leading us to be here. And yeah, we did not have all the details worked out, but because we had been faithful all the way up to that and because we had known the kind of things that God did in our lives up to that point, we knew that he would provide for us. We knew the things that did make sense. And it was amazing to see how God worked, even that first year, even that summer we first got here, to see how he provided for us um, a home and a place to to work and to thrive and, and being a part of Grace Church. And now it's just crazy for me. You think that God moved us here for for us, for our church. And those moments of wonder, those moments where you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this next or this is going to cost me a lot or this doesn't really seem that significant, those moments are where God interacts with us. Those are the moments that have meant everything to me over my life. And And if you've had those moments of wonder, they mean everything to you. Those are the moments where you felt close to the heart of God. Those are the moments where you knew that he was doing something in you and then he had way more planned for your life or more in store than you could have ever imagined. And maybe you're in a moment of wonder right now. You're asking yourself, God, what in the world is it you're trying to do? Um, maybe right now he's just asking you to humble yourself. He's just asking you to be faithful. Just be content to serve him. Because for Jesus, that was everything. That was all his life, um, that, all that mattered in his life. And so as we continue on, Paul begins to teach us more. He begins to show us how God viewed Jesus um, Life and the life he lived, it says, "'Therefore God exalted him to the highest place "'and gave him the name that is above every name, "'that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow "'in heaven and on earth and under the earth, "'and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord "'to the glory of God the Father.'" So you can look at Jesus' life, you can look at the humility, you can look at the servanthood, you can look at what it cost him and the faithfulness and the direction that God sent his life, and you can look at that, and, and for, for many of us, it can, it can seem a little overwhelming. It can maybe even not seem appealing. Does God, is God going to do that in my life? Oh man, what if he totally flips my world upside down? What, what if it costs me too much? What if I'm not willing to give that much or go that far? There's kind of a weight to it on the front end, and, and we've got to kind of draw ourselves back and wonder, is this really the life I want to pursue? And wonder if, if it's really making an impact. But when God looks at that life, when God looks at the humble servant who was faithful and obedient like Jesus, he looks at that and he says, that's what I want to exalt. The, 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 as low as Christ brought himself to be a baby in a manger, to die for uh, the sins of the world, sins that he didn't even commit himself, when he places himself in that position and brings himself to that point, God exalts him to the highest position. And that is totally what God is up to, is he takes the mighty and he humbles them, and he takes the humble and he exalts them. I wrote down this. I said that God can do anything he pleases through an ordinary person who is fully dedicated to him. God can do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter if you feel capable or if you don't. It doesn't matter if you've done that before or you haven't. It doesn't matter if it's in a new direction or the same direction. God is absolutely capable of doing something significant and impactful. Because what matters at the end of the day is not are we, in our own evaluation, feeling like, hey, is this really what I feel my life should be? Or just from the input of others, oh, hey, am I getting the approval of others? But is this something that the Father has called me to? Is it something that He has purposed my life with. This is something that He blesses and that He longs for um, to be in my life. And so I would say it this way. I would say that only God can bring clarity and purpose in a moment of wonder. Only God can do that. We can't bring it from ourselves. We can't necessarily get the full picture from others. It's great to have wise counsel and to have the perspective of others, but really, if God's the one who's orchestrating all this, and if everything comes back to him, then I have to be connected to his heart, and I have to understand what he's trying to do so that I can have that clarity, that wisdom, and uh, understand the purpose of what I'm going through. I think this, for the, story of those, uh, for the story of those who we read in the Bible through the Christmas narrative, through Jesus' birth, so we talked about Joseph, right? Think about Joseph. We talked about this the first week of, of this series. Joseph was just this young guy trying to start his family, build a house for, get married, build a, a home, start his career. He's just like a young professional. He's just trying to like do it right, just trying to get everything together and instead, God brings Jesus into the picture, and now he's spending his life going to Bethlehem and risking his life because the king wants to kill the new king, and he's fleeing to Egypt, and now he's up in Nazareth. And, well, not exactly what you would expect for Joseph's, Joseph's life. And you have Mary. You have Mary, who's just this teenage girl just wanting to Mar- get married and start a family and, and wants to, you know, make an impact in, in, her, in her extended family and in the community that she's in. And instead, God brings Jesus. Oh, hey, there's going to be a miraculous virgin birth. Everyone will believe that. How's that going to impact my family? How's that going to impact my future? What's that going to mean for me around my peers now and my relatives? Or think about the wise men or the magi. They come looking for Jesus, right? They're following a star, and the first place they go is a palace. They go to King Herod. Where's the new king? He's not here. And they find him in a a lowly position, (laughs) just with a family, not in a palace, not with a name you would have known. It's all backwards. Only God can bring clarity and purpose to these things. I think we have to ask ourselves when things don't make sense in a moment of wonder, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we just waiting for all this stuff that's going in life to like be over? For like the circumstances to change and for God to just kind of like stop all this stuff so that we can get back to life the way we've always wanted to live it? Or should we stop in a moment of wonder and say, okay, all this is happening right now. God, I'm going to listen and be attentive to what you're trying to do that's different. That's the big turning point for a moment of wonder. I feel like in my own journey, the times where I get the most frustrated and even just overwhelmed and anxious are when I just get so locked into the things that make sense to me. And it's like, this is the way our life has to shape up and this is the way our kids are going to be and this is the way my job's going to work out and this is the way... And I'm, I'm anxious. I get frustrated. I'm kind of on edge all the time because I'm like, nobody touch it. Nobody touch my plan. It needs to work out this way. And anyone who gets in the way, I'm going to be a little agitated and be like, why, why are you messing with this right now? And sometimes I, I'm like, God, why are you letting me be so anxious? Why am I discouraged right now? I want to do something big for you. I'm trying to innovate or do the next big thing or make a difference. Come on, like, let's do it this way. And God's saying, I'm not making you anxious. You're anxious. You're, you're, it's all on you to make that happen. The reason you're discouraged is because you can't do enough of that stuff to find the status and worth that I just want to give you, that I have given you. And so the reason I'm bringing all this in right now is because I, just, I want you to be faithful to this. I, w- I want you to see the world the way I see it. I want you to be okay with just doing this over here because most of the time, the stuff I dream of over there is really ambiguous, but what God's asked me to do right here actually involves real people. People who are already in my life. Opportunities that he's already given me. Stuff that's right here, and I'm not not attentive enough to it because I'm so fixed on something else, something that I think I would rather have. D.L. Moody put it this way. He said, many of us, are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do little things. There are many of us who are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do little things. Is that the problem with our moment of wonder? Is is servanthood just beneath us? Like I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, man, I've got something so much better. And God's like, what? What in the world could you have that was better? This is the way that I put my love on display. This is the way that I get glory. This is the way that Jesus lived and what I exalted and what I want to do again in and through you. When uh, many people, uh, Bible scholars, when they read the the New Testament and they read the life of Jesus, they'll sometimes say what Jesus was doing in his teaching or what he was doing in the world was he was making an upside down kingdom. He was turning the world on its head. So it was an upside down kingdom. He was doing something completely backwards and he was flipping everything a different direction that those who were in power were being humbled and those who were humbled were now having the place of being used by God. And what Jesus brought in was just so different and, and he was changing the way that, the, that we saw the world he was changing the way that um, we viewed God. And, and it, it wasn't that God ever changed or that the world ever changed, but that he was actually bringing it back into the proper alignment. It, was, it wasn't that, we, uh, that he had it upside down. It was that we did. And so as they kind of observe that, they see that Jesus is bringing a whole new way of living in. I, I read this. It said that success in the up, upside down kingdom isn't always tangible. That God's definition of success is and, and his definition of purpose isn't always as tangible and noticeable as we expect it to be. So success in the upside-down kingdom isn't always tangible. You can't measure a changed heart. You can't quantify grace. God doesn't run metrics on performance and power or the position of his children. Success in the kingdom is focused more on faithful obedience than it is on outcomes. And that's what it is, is that God's not trying to get you to do something for him. He's not, he's not trying to get us to do things because if we don't do him, he's not going to be able to be God. He is way more dialed into our hearts, into our relationship with him, into the fact that we would walk through life with him, that we would know that our status and our identity and our purpose are found in his love and belonging with him. and that 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 is most put clearly on display through Jesus, those are the kind of things that Jesus was showing us, is that he was turning the world on his head. He was showing that we've actually had it backwards all along, that we don't need to strive for power or position or just our own performance, but that we need to realize we are already loved. We don't have to fight for it. We already have it. And we can live out of that and we can extend it to others and we can invite them into what God has given us. So how do we do that? We talk about the the humility and and the faithfulness and now God can bring that clarity and purpose. There's a couple more verses that help us track with this as Paul tries to translate it into their circumstance. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence— Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so I've always wondered, like, that phrase doesn't make a lot of sense to me, that work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, what's that all about? And really what we're talking about is working out or putting into practice that which God has already done in our lives. Like the salvation that he's given us, that he's redeemed us, that we're already loved, we're putting that into practice. All the ways that should fit into our life and all the categories and relationships that that is expressed into and all the ways that we need to be obedient. God's saying, put that into practice. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with great intentionality. Don't be laid back about this. Don't brush it off as insignificant. The fear and trembling that comes with this is not because we're afraid we're going to mess it up and lose God's favor. We carry it with fear and trembling because God has actually entrusted us with something of great significance and worth. That the things he gives you to do, even though they may seem menial to us at times, he's entrusting you with things of great weight. And that's why we put these things into practice with great fear and trembling is because it matters. It matters to God. He doesn't give us busy work. He doesn't throw you off in the wrong direction just to keep you spinning. God knows exactly why he has you where where he wants you. I I think it's really hard to trust that sometimes, though. It's really hard when we don't have the full picture. I also think it's easier to mostly just worry about what God wants to get done, right? God, just like give me the list. If you could just give me like a year by year or maybe like the whole thing or just in doses, maybe through email, that's probably the best way. Or if you could just put that on my social media feed somehow. That way I could know just like, just all the stuff to get done. Maybe if I could get it done by lunch, that'd be great. And instead, God's saying, no, this is gonna be messy. This is gonna be difficult because I'm way more obsessed with working In you than I am necessarily with just getting stuff done. That actually the only reason we can get stuff done is because God's effort is behind our efforts. It's not that he says, great, here's my idea, go do it on your own. He says, this is where I'm already working. Would you come along and show up with me? Would you adjust your life to come over here? How about, how about we do this? How about we try it this way? God's work is the decisive factor in our work. Some other ways we see this in the Bible, in Psalm 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. In Proverbs 16, it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord is the one who establishes his steps. See, it is God who wants to will and act in order to fulfill his good purposes. He is the one who, whose desires we follow. He is the one who's working to make this happen, and he's working in us so that it might happen through us. Another quote that I found by a guy named Henry Blackaby, he says, anything of spiritual gifts that happens in your life will be the result of God's activity in you. He is infinitely more concerned with your life than, and your relationship with him than you or I ever possibly could. God is so consumed with you He is so much more obsessed with your life and what it can mean and the impact it could have and how he could use that in the relationships and opportunities you've been given. I would say it this way, that God is more interested in you than in what you accomplish. He's more interested in you